Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, alongside my brother from another mother, Dwayne Drawn. What's going on, brother? What's going on, my man? Good day, good week. I had an epic event yesterday. I think I, I texted you a little bit about it, but um, Cirrus, the aircraft manufacturer, a very expensive airplanes, but when you want to do something right and high quality, that's sort of what I'm looking at buying. So the salesman comes together and he invites, uh, I would say about maybe eight to 10 Cirrus owners and they all flew into an airport and shot a little bit of golf. Now, I've never played golf in my life, but I realized that they suck just as much as I did. And we had, <laughs> we had a good time. Like they're pilots, so there wasn't any really drinking involved because you can't drink and fly at the same time. That's almost impossible to fly and drink. But it was a good event and then the proximity was great. I mean, a lot of these guys were telling me stories about how they were and who their mindset was before they got them. And a lot of it, I'm in that same proximity right now. Like like a lot of the, from what the guys are saying is I'm in that place right now. So I guess I know a plane is coming here pretty soon. That's awesome, dude. I love seeing the pictures and seeing you out there having fun. And that was cool. That's really cool. I, I, I had to put my mind around it thinking like if I wanted to go golfing and I've never golfed in my life, I've, I've miniature golfed and I suck at that too. So I can't imagine what it's like in the big green, but anyway, but they fly their planes into this place and then they golf and then they fly home. So it's, it's just a whole nother level of like, holy crap, I guess that is possible. Yeah. You know, Jay-Z said you can't even floss on my levels. One of the, the lines he has in his rap. I yeah. couldn't even floss that shit. Like <laughs> I couldn't even like, how could I even brag? Like, am I really at this event? And you would not have known that I did not own an airplane yet. I mean, they talked to me as if like, dude, your plane should be parked next to us. So obviously yeah. I'm that guy now, you know what I mean? Who is a part of this serious group and who flies in and goes golfing. So I guess that's the thing that has to happen when I get it. Um, oh, I broke a club yesterday too. That was some I shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I hit it so hard, dude. I like, I kept hitting the ground, like not the ball, but the ground. And I broke a freaking club and, and the guy was real nice. He was like, man, I don't know why these clubs do this. You know what I mean? I'm sorry about this, that your club did that. Like I, he's looking at me at the same time, like you fucker, you broke my clubs. <laughs> <laughs> did you happy Gilmore that shit or what? <laughs> <laughs> dude, it was a lot. It's a lot of real estate. Like it, this little ass ball and it's, 400 fucking feet to the hole and it's a little hole you know I mean around all this other shit like who came up with this sport like this is <laughs> bullshit who came up with this and then they said it's addictive i don't think it's ever going to be addictive for me because one i can't hit the damn ball and then when you hit the ball you got all this freaking real estate this little ass ball hell you do you know you can't even find the fucking ball when it hits when you hit it 
They gave me six balls. I lost every single one of them. Even a little sweet looking shit. Like I thought I was going to have a souvenir ball. I lost them. I had to borrow some balls from the other golfers just to finish. And we didn't even go the whole 19, uh, the whole whatever, 18. I think we went 13 and everybody was tired as hell. But I had to borrow balls because I lost them all. Two words for you, Dwayne. Mini golf. <laughs> stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah, stay in my lane, bro. You could fly yeah, a plane was, into the, mini golf course. Why not? That was the big <laughs> leagues, dude. But like I said, hey, my scores are just as the same as theirs. They couldn't shoot golf either. So that's good. And they play more than me. So I'm like, whoa, I fit in. I, I was intimidated as hell before we went. I was yeah. I was really scared. Like, man, I've never done this before. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. I hear you. But uh, all right. So today, uh, I will warn everybody ahead of time. This is going to piss a lot of you off and that's its intent so we're gonna have a big conversation today about this concept or what we'd like to say is stop selling paver patios i'll say it again just stop it stop selling paver patios and start selling outdoor living to your clients start helping them buy those spaces so if you're thinking if you're out there you know banging out paver patios left and right you know just stop it start thinking about this entire outdoor space a bit differently you know in a way that the entire backyard is not all about the stupid patio, okay? The patio is part of the outdoor you know, experience for your clients and for yourself. But I know so many, and hell, I was guilty of this too. That's why it's coming, to, coming out a bit more passionately because I was that guy for the longest time where everything was about the patio and everything went around that patio, where now the philosophy is very different as we're building much larger projects and getting in with much more affluent clients, that the patio is a very small part of the bigger picture. So, Dwayne, have you found that over your career? Man, how much time are you going to give me to rent? I mean, <laughs> these podcasts are like 40 minutes. Can I, can I get two hours? Like, <laughs> hey, I was a paper patio guy. And no matter what you called me up for, the remedy was the paper patio. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, oh, you had a drainage issue? Fuck the paper patio. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh man, you mean my backyard is slow? Oh, paper patio. I mean, everything was a paper patio solution was the pavers. And now that I look at outdoor living, and I'm realizing, like, I can't stand them fucking papers. Like, I can't stand the big circle, small circle. I see these guys on social media, and I think I've gotten cussed out a whole bunch of times on these pages. Who the fuck are you, Jack? Like, one guy told me, um, I was a couple weeks ago, uh, he said, man, you're just one of those guys who got the design software for Christmas, and now you're a designer. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> okay, well, I've been doing this shit for, like, 20 years, you know what I mean? But, okay, I'll listen to what you say. And I looked at his page. And he does like big circle, small circle patios. Like that's yeah. the greatest thing he's done. And I'm like, okay, bro, like I'm not even going to argue with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you can't say anything to them because they're looking at, and I get what they're looking at. They're looking at the craftsmanship, which a lot of their craftsmanship is really good, especially lately. Like these duck guys are doing a really good job of cutting the pavers, getting the minor cuts together. I mean, they're phenomenal at the craftsmanship. But what they're putting in the backyards relating to paper patios and outdoor living, the shit doesn't even match. It doesn't match the house. It doesn't match the environment. It looks like shit. And I know we sound like snobs right now, but it looks like shit. <laughs> I hear you, dude. I, I see it as well. And I hate to you know be thinking like that. But when I see stuff, I feel like they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to make a statement. They're trying to differentiate themselves because there's so many others out there that are banging pavers into the ground. And you're right. I come from that same background where if somebody called and they said, you want a patio, it's always going to be pavers. Like I don't do concrete. I don't do anything. I don't get 
concrete in my hands. That's not what I do. Everything, everything was paver or segmental wall. That's all it ever was in the very beginning. And then I graduated away from that and got into a lot more masonry stuff and, and started to see a much bigger world and started to create outdoor living spaces as opposed to just a bunch of concrete blocks in the backyard. So, and again, we're, we're not trying to come off snobbish, snobbish here, but you know, it's what we're seeing all over the place. These guys, especially now with other companies just starting up, a lot of startups that are trying to emulate what they see on social media. What I'm going to tell you is just stop looking at some of that stuff. Like just stop it and start thinking about how can your patio be part of that outdoor living experience for your clients? How can you create a space outside that is very low maintenance for the client that connects well to the architecture of the house that fits and flows with the overall environment and also provides that space for those families to grow and to, uh, to put their furniture out there to enjoy all of these things. Like that is the bigger piece. It's not about, all right, well, every patio is 600 square feet and you know we're going to add a couple different curves here. Maybe I'll add an extra border or two on this because I know my competitor does one border, so I'm going to do three borders. Fuck him, watch. I'm going to I'm going to make my name now because I'm going to use a black border instead of a gray border. And next thing you know, you see these pictures. And again, to your point, the craftsmanship oftentimes is really good, but it's a matter of it doesn't even match the house. At the end of the day, it's like who can create a patio that stands out the most, as opposed to who can create a patio or an outdoor living space that you barely notice because in outdoor living, it's about extending the, the the living space from indoor to out, not about creating this monstrosity in the backyard or this space that stands out from everything else. So it's a matter of perspective here. Great design is invisible. I'll say that again. Great design is invisible. It's It's because it fits and flows with the architecture of the house. It plays perfectly with the land. You're not fighting those two elements. You're working in, in harmony with them and thinking about how can I make this patio look like it was always here from the very beginning? How can I make this outdoor living space look like it's an extra room from the house just without walls? Like, how can I do that? Not how can I make it so, quote unquote, interesting that others will notice it. And the manufacturers are pushing this shit. They're pushing it hard because they're just selling square footage. There was a company out of Virginia. They wanted to talk to us about working some design stuff. And I talked to their marketing director. You know, I mean, I talked to the staff and we had a really nice meeting. Very great people. And in the end, he's like, we just want to sell square footage. And, and that's where it stopped. Like this could have been a really big lucrative deal for us. And when I heard, man, we just want to sell square footage is, is where I stopped talking to them. I get it. They're in the business. But here's the thing that I do get. We don't get bidded against. Okay. And if somebody is bidding against us, we send them a letter, send them a message. Hey, we don't operate that way because no bids will even come close because they don't even understand what we're doing. So if you're looking for this little price issue, just go with the company. Don't even, we'll back out. And I even have a policy now is that I'll give you the prints. Like if I draw the design and you just can't afford what we do, I'll give you an overview print. I'll give you some measurements. I won't give you like elevations and all construction details, but I'll give you some elevation square footage and, and just go just so you can get it built. Because what I want you to do is to get an outdoor living space. You don't have to get it from me. You don't have to get it from, you just got to get an outdoor living space and not a little punk ass paver patio. And, I, and I'm saying it this way because I do want to piss off the guys a little bit to start looking in deeper. Like got a prospect two weeks ago, 40 feet long, 20 feet wide is the space. And we probably got a little bit more space. And their budget on the budget survey was $250,000. Okay. Was their budget survey. Okay. 40 feet long, 20 feet wide is their budget survey. $250,000. So 
I'm like, shit, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to put in there for, for 20. And you didn't, you can't get a, can't give a designer a $250,000 budget. You know, we're going to take it to 2052. You know what I mean? That's just how we're going to operate. So what their biggest frustration was, they had four other companies come over. Okay. All four companies gave them a design for free, free. And they all gave them a bunch of paver patios. And what the wife said, she says, I do not want to see another design with another, and I don't want to say the name because I don't want to get burnt on here, but with another paver manufacturer. I don't want to see another paver in this design. I said, great, you talk to the right people. I said, because we do use pavers, but we only use them when we need them. You know what I mean? And it's not, we're not against pavers, but there's bunch of materials that we mix in with the paver job. Every job we do is going to get some pavers somewhere, but it's going to be one little section and one little area. So it's going to be this beautiful pavilion with the fire feature built in. May, you may step down, maybe an outdoor kitchen. You mean a really nice elaborate stuff, but everybody showed up at their house for a brick paver patio. That's what they showed up for. Yeah. And it's, it's very common. That's what they're taught. I mean, again, most of the education is coming directly from the suppliers, the manufacturers, right? They're coming from those places. They have the bank in order to educate their installers. So they educate them in selling more square footage because at the end of the day, that's what it is. And I'm not here to, to negate that. That's business. That's fine. But as installers and as designers, we have to be thinking about what's, what does this industry look like in the next five to 10 years? If we want to do a short, you know, a short lookout, think about what does it look like? And it's not a bunch of people putting in little paper patios because these, these little patios, if they're put in correctly, and they're small and they're not really functional, they get ripped out anyway by the next homeowner, right? Even if they're put in and they're not put in correctly and they're falling apart and full of weeds and all that kind of stuff, they're definitely getting pulled out. So the value, and this is what always gets me, the value of pavers in general is diminished every time a crappy project gets put in because that's what the homeowner wanted. Homeowner wanted the 1,200 square foot patio next to their pool. The homeowner wanted this. And next thing you know, that client will never buy pavers again because of the experience they had owning them. Either they were a lot of maintenance or they were just, there was a lot of them or they didn't sit well on the ground. I have clients, uh, I have it from here and, you know, here and there clients say, look, we don't want to do pavers because they settle or there's tons of weeds in them or, you know, they just don't hold up and that's bullshit. We all know that that's all in the, in the installation side of things, right? But pavers get a bad name for it because of the fact that they were poorly installed or, not the best choice for the project, but the only choice the contractor had to give, right? And that was me years ago was everything was a paver. But I realized that partnering with other people who love concrete, for instance, or love building decks or love hardwoods or love natural stones or whatever it might be, partnering with them as an addition to your company that you can offer in your designs more contrast and materials will help elevate you way above what any of those other paver guys are. So you go from competing in the, in the, you know, in the, in the, the ring with all these other paver guys who are using the same companies that, you know, manufacturers, and they're just putting out the same 600 square foot patios. Now it's a matter of who's got more borders and size and, and whatever it might be, or how your square foot price is less. You throw all that out when you start offering other materials that complement those pavers as part of the outdoor living space, just like inside of a house, you would have hardwood floors, possibly maybe some tile, maybe some carpet. Why the hell can't you have different textures outside to delineate different space? Why can't you? It's only because of your skill set, right? It's not the mindset side of things that can be easily changed. But I know I struggled with that for years. I said, I don't know how to do that other stuff. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to build a deck. I don't know how to do concrete. 
That just wasn't my thing. I know how to do pavers, right? So everything was pavers, but I kept limiting our company's growth on the fact that my own mindset and my own skill set was lacking. And I had to change those things. And it all starts with the mindset side saying, okay, I see why I need to do it now. Now I just need to figure out how. And the how part was easy. We found some other people that did that kind of stuff. And when we'd start working with them to come in and say, look, we're going to do the landscaping and this area pavers. You're going to do this area of concrete or this deck, whatever it might be. And then we're going to create this really dynamic space so that when you then, once you're all done and the client puts out their furniture and their kids are running around and you're taking pictures of the space, it looks completely different than all those other people you used to compete against throwing pavers at the grass. You know what I mean? So it's, it's such a, a bigger thing when you think about it, but throwing in these patios is really diminishing the value of pavers. And I love pavers, but if they can be overdone and they can also be misused, and it's really a matter of understanding where that line is. You know, what it really has done is, and I think let's, let's really throw the monkey on the table. It's destroyed the value of our industry. It's destroyed it. Like us, even myself. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and attack all these contractors and not allow myself to be attacked in this thing because I did that. Like up until about seven years ago, I did that. I was just paper. Like the, even the last job I did in Ohio it was a big ass job, but I look back, there was just no way I would do what I did at those people's house. You know what I mean, just pavers every fucking where, you know what I mean? 3000 square feet of pavers everywhere. You know what I mean? I'd never do that shit again. You know I mean, I'm just even almost embarrassed to even have that on me, but that's who I was back in the day. This is who I am now. So, but what that has done is, okay, and I hope people are listening, it destroyed the value and it's destroying even to this day, the value of outdoor living space. When somebody calls you up and said, you know, we want a nice backyard, but and we know we're not going to get anything back on it. And I'm like, and what they're saying is, if you do, because this is all we see, like we see all these paper patios and they're not getting anything back. They're falling apart. Everybody has, um, God, I just, I hate saying the name, but the Brussels block wall looks like shit. You I mean, everybody has that. You mean, and it's just destroying the values and people are looking at it. And so when they see something like us, they're like, wow, that's amazing. Even I'm amazed sometimes. I get a job done like, fuck, did we design that? I think it's dope. Like I'm blown by, I'm just as surprised as a client. But then during, the, not then, but during the conversation, they're not understanding the cost. Like, why are we paying this much money? Because you don't get anything back in return. And I'm looking at them like, when we're done, you're going to get this back. I mean, you're going to get this back because this is a seamless approach. This is going to be treated like your basement. This is going to be treated like your your kitchen that was just done. This is going to be treated like your upgraded closet. I said, when this patio hits the MLS, when this house hits the MLS, the outdoor living space is going to be mentioned, and it's probably going to be words used, spectacular outdoor living space. It's what's going to be mentioned, okay? It's not going to be considered a paper patio, and the people who are buying this house are not going to want to tear this shit out to put something new because now the architecture of the home just flowed right to the outside. And here's another thing, and I'm going off a rant, and I apologize for Dukes, and it's not giving you time to talk, but I hear contractors in these groups all the time saying, that's what the client wanted, that's what the client wanted. Let me tell you something. If I'm suggesting something to a client and I know it's going to add value to their house and they suggest something else, call Billy. I'm not doing it. You mean? I'm not doing it. It's just that easy to say. And I don't know why people, contractors, and maybe because I was that guy, I thought I needed every single job. And 
I don't need every single job. And it's not because I don't need every single job. I only don't need every single job is because I made a stand to not need every single job several years ago when I needed every single job. You know I mean, so I can't guys come to me, man, you're just lucky. And you, no, 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 no. I made a stand years ago when I needed every single job. And I made a point to not take every single job because that shit's garbage. No, I hear you, dude. And, and that's the hard part, especially starting out is when you get a, a lead coming in and you know, hey, if, if Mrs. Jones wants a 10 by 12, you know, paver patio in the backyard, what, what am I, why am I telling her no? Why would I tell her no? Because she's willing to pay what I ask for it. And yeah, I might not put that on my website, but you know, it's, it's money, right? And then the next one comes along and you wonder why you keep getting more of those calls because you're doing more of that work. And that's what the, you're putting in the universe. That's what the neighbors are seeing. That's what, when they're having parties, they're like, oh yeah, XYZ landscaping company did this uh, patio for me. Oh, cool. I want a really small patio like this too. And pretty soon you get that call as well. So it's knowing deep down that you have the capacity to do really awesome outdoor living spaces. And maybe not every single client wants that and that's okay. But there's certain philosophies you need to be thinking about when you're creating an outdoor living space to, to make sure it's different than and or I should say drastically different than your your standard paver patio guys. And there's a couple of of little tips we're going to give you here that directly from our design course that will help you out there in the uh you know in the world that if you're doing paver patios now and you're just kind of doing whatever she or he says from the homeowner side or you just have a certain style you always use, you know, 600 800 square foot whatever it might be, right? A little circle kit, a fire pit and then a little seating wall like that's you see them constantly everywhere because they're they're simple to do and you can buy them in kits and there's not a whole lot of thinking, right? So that's the manufacturers are brilliant that way. But the problem is that the entire market has been super saturated with that look and we've tore out more of those spaces before we get in to actually do an outdoor living space than you can even imagine. The money that's wasted from clients and we have a project right now we're working on where they spent about $15,000 with a company a couple of years ago. And uh, they came in and did a circle kit, a fire pit in the middle, a little seating wall, two pillars, and a little patio, right? And the problem is that it is in the wrong location. It doesn't fit or flow with anything. And the homeowners just didn't know any better. So they most likely dictated to the person, look, this is what I wanted. This is what I want. And then they're like, oh, what about this? They say, good, just put it in. They just want something done. They don't see the bigger picture. And now we come in and we've got to rip it all out. You know, and that was only a couple of years ago. They didn't even did an outdoor kitchen, right? Which, which was an additional eight or $10,000 to that. That's in the wrong spot. It makes no sense where they put it. And now I feel horrible for them having to waste all that hard-earned money, right? Over $20,000, 20 plus $1,000, all that hard-earned money has to be ripped out and thrown in the garbage can, right? We see this all the time. And what happens is they get a bad taste in their mouth for these, these guys that are doing these smaller patios because they're just listening to the client not offering any kind of constructive criticism to what they might be thinking in order to help them not to be a dick, but to be helping them so they can make great decisions. Because guys, think about it. Most homeowners build outdoor living spaces once or twice in their life. So this is not like buying a car every three years where they're used to the process so they know what they want and don't want. They don't know. And technology is changing constantly. The overall expectation of an outdoor living space has changed so dramatically in the last 20 years. It was the space that you just kind of walked out and threw a chair on and sat on in those perfect days in the summer and then looked at the rest of the year or put your grill on or it was it was functional and utilitarian only, right? And now what we're seeing is a gigantic switch, especially with COVID. There's a gigantic surge toward the outdoor living part of it. What I mean by that is extending usable livable space from inside to outside right? 
that is really what's driving our market right now. And the guys that are capturing that and the gals that are capturing that essence, the seamless transitions indoor to out where you can walk smoothly from first floor out onto a deck or a raised terrace is huge right now. Everybody wants that, right? Three zones, your grilling, dining, and lounging zones, well allocated close to the doors in the back of the house, giving them the maximum amount of efficiency and, and, and functionality back there. Comfort is another one. If you're not comfortable outside, you're wasting your money. So if the sun is a problem, if rain is a problem, all these things, you need to be fixing those problems for your clients during your entire design process. Because when you're doing that, you're adding so much more value to this project. So to Dwayne's point earlier, when they say, well, you know what, this is all money lost in the backyard. We're just throwing it back there. Yeah, if you put in just a paper patio, you're pissing your money away because the next person's going to be like, all right, great, I've got that. My experience with pavers has been they sink, we get weeds in them, they're constant maintenance, and it's the wrong size for the house anyway, it doesn't look like it even belongs here. That's the next buyer's thinking that versus walking out of the back door onto a seamless transition saying, wow, this feels like this room just extends directly outside. This is really cool and I can eat in here, I can grill in here, I can lounge in here, watch the TV. We have a roof over top. So we don't have to worry about the rain or the sun. We can fully control it. We could even talk about putting screens in that system if you wanted to. Or if we're not doing a roof, you could walk out into this space and maybe you plant the right trees in the right locations to block the maximum amount of sun so they can enjoy it more times of the year. So that becomes an extension of the living space, not a slab in the backyard that's not muddy so you can put furniture on it. That's the biggest differentiator. And if you talk about value back when people are selling, we've had a lot of clients who have sold their homes after we've done projects. And the results have been amazing by the, the, the more that they, they can charge, the, the higher rate they can charge for the house itself because of their investment in it. Now it's not dollar for dollar two years after you put it in, right? But it is uh, much higher than it would be if it was just a paper patio in the backyard they'd get nothing for it. My son and I did some research on this about three years ago. He graduated from uh, DePaul University for business marketing. So we were looking at some of this marketing stuff and we looked at that if it was just a basic paver patio, it was in between zero and 30% return uh, for the dollar. If it was an outdoor living designed space, it was from 50 to 97%. And here's the other thing. If it was done a part of the new build house and everything tied in seamless together, it actually went up to 120% as high as it could go. On the outdoor living space. Yep, I could totally and, believe that. And I, like I said, I feel for these guys, like, because I was that guy. I was that guy who thought I needed the next job because I was always broke. I was every job I was broke. So broke to this job, broke to that job, broke to this job, broke to that job. I mean, every single job. So it was just bouncing back. So whatever the client says, oh man, God, I'll do this. And I hear these guys all the time, man, that's what the client wanted. It's the client wanted. The tips that I would give. And it's some value add instead of just bashing the whole thing. Let's let me add some value to this whole conversation. If clients have some really strict budget and you just can't get over the budget, okay, and you're tied down to a budget, it's still better to design some type of outdoor living space in, instead of none. And Joshua and I program on our design program. We actually have a section where we talk about the three zones. I mean, you have the kitchen, the dining, and the lounge. Um, if you cannot do a blown out seventy, eighty thousand outdoor living space, and you got, you mean fifteen to twenty five grand, get away from the circles unless the house lends itself to circles, and most houses don't. Okay, most houses are square linear unless you have some of the round edges, and have a kitchen dining together combined, and then separate a small fourteen by fourteen space with a small pathway and some plants with your lounge. 
Okay, the seat wall does not go around the fire pit because nobody sits around the fucking seat wall while they sit on the fire pit. They sit in chairs. I've done a lot of parties. I'm a, I drink more than probably most of you guys. So I know where to go party and drink. And I sit on the fire pit areas and we don't sit on seat walls. It's too cold. It's too uncomfortable. Put the seat wall on the dining side. That way, when they have the tables and chairs, they, more people come over, more guests, they can sit on the seat walls. Also, we do not need these six, 700 square foot fucking dining areas, okay? There's only one set of, set of tables and chairs the clients are going to buy. That's it. They're only going to buy one. They're not going to buy 10. So they don't need to have a bunch of shit they're going to stand on. And also, the more hardscapes, the more money that you're blowing for the clients. So sort of be value added. So if you have a little bit of money left over, add some plants, soften up the space. I took a job just the other day. Client had $30,000. That was high for her budget. And I enjoyed the client. Like, I really felt who she was. I mean, enjoyable lady. She was dealing with breast cancer. And the whole time, like, even when I met her, she just started chemo. Her hair was falling out. But we just had a, such a beautiful moment. And I even now, I think we've become really good friends. Like, I sent her, I actually sent her the 54321 book because I didn't want to see her get stuck in the pain of what she's dealing with in life. So I sent her the book. And we designed this space. I mean, it was 30 grand. But... Normally, our designs are 75 grand above, but I was able to pull off a beautiful environment for her. Two zones in the one, different wood decking steps right out the front door so she didn't have to make that first step. You mean two steps down to some little nice concrete stepper walkways, go to the right concrete patio. You mean you never would have done concrete, concrete, broom finished concrete patios, decorative cuts. Fire pit, not built in fire pit with the Brussels block walls and all that shit in. We shipped this fire pit in from California. Beautiful gas line, everything hooked up. And the other side is a paper patio. It's phase two. We're going to do a water feature and a pergola, which is which initially will take her into the 50s. But this is the same lady who would have considered spending $15,000 for a patio that the patio guys keep saying, well, they don't have any more money. They don't have any more money because you didn't show them anything else. That's all you showed them. You got to open up your mind and show them more. It's not about the money. It's about what you can do in these spaces and create the value. Like you got to understand when you're laying these patios, you're not just laying them for you. You're wrecking the entire industry. You're destroying it. You're making it harder for your next job. You're making it harder for your competitor to go to their next job. You're making it harder for the real estate agent to sell a house next. You're making it harder for a lot of stuff, throwing these big ass 800 square foot brick paver patios pavers all over the place you're making it hard yeah there's no doubt there's no doubt and it's, it's the thought process that goes into it because at the end of the day guys and gals we're guides right we're guiding our clients taking them on a journey that they've never been on before or maybe once in their life right so we're taking them on and they're they're expecting us to come to the table with solutions they're expecting us to come to the table and help them make great decisions because the last thing the last thing, and even write this down, the last thing that your client wants to live with is regret. They don't want to live with regret of making quick decisions that will haunt them for years to come. That is what they're mostly concerned about. And they come to a professional and they, they hope like hell they're going to guide them in the right direction. And when all the people coming to them are saying, look, paver is the best solution, paver is the best solution, paver is the best solution. Sometimes they listen and they say, okay, let's do that. And then they don't like it because there was no other option. I know quite often we go into meetings and talk to clients and they immediately say to us, I'm not interested in pavers. And I know exactly why. And they eventually fill in the gap. I don't just assume I let them do that. 
And it's always because the last ones didn't hold up. They settled, they failed, they were full of weeds. It's a, gigan a gigantic problem. They're full of weeds. They're prone to tons of maintenance. I don't want to deal with that. They were, they were sold to us 15 years ago as a maintenance-free option that looks really nice. And they turned into be a ton of maintenance and now they look like shit. So that's, they felt like they were sold a, a horrible bill of goods and it's a bad taste in their mouth. So what we've done is we've created an entire process in order to make sure that our pavers are weed free and also are going to hold up to the test of time, right? So we've created this entire process to do that and we've been having excellent success with it. But offering other options is key because when it comes to a very budget conscious client, if you only offer one option, you only offer pavers, say for as, as an option, and that client has a budget of say $25,000 or even 55, doesn't matter. And you do this whole project and you come in over budget, you know, oftentimes what people love to do, and again, I was guilty of this too when I was younger, is like, all right, well, if, if the budget's 30, say 30,000, but our, our bid came in when we're done with all this project at uh, 32,000, client comes in and says, all right, well, can mine was 30, can you do it all for 30? And it was 32, right? That's a proposal. And I've, I've taken the bait in the past and said, okay, no problem. We'll give you a discount. We'll do it for 30 and we're good to go, right? But as soon as you do that, think about the psychological side of that. If they didn't ask you to take it down to 30, they would have paid $2,000 more, which basically means you didn't need to charge them the 2000 because you didn't charge them in the end, right? You gave them a discount, which means I don't really need that money. It doesn't really matter. So why would you even include it in the beginning? Think about that. Why would you even... Say it in the beginning. Why wouldn't you go in there and say, and the price is actually 30000 Can you give us a discount? No, that is my price. My price is my price. The only way you adjust price is to either remove features or change materials or adjust design, of course, too. But the design that's in front of you right now is that number. Because as soon as you come off of that, think of it. They're going to think like they can't trust you. Because if, if you, they wouldn't have said something, you would have taken advantage of them. And if they do say something, they feel like, I just been taken advantage of if I didn't say something. So there's there's all of this stuff going on that you have to be really careful when you start doing this discount bullshit. You go in, it's very simple. You stand on your on your price, and that's what it is. They adjust it by changing materials or eliminating or changing features. That's how the prices change. It is not the numbers you bring to the table. If there's anything you've learned from anything we've talked about, that is the number one piece. Uh, as soon as they know that they can adjust you by asking for a discount, or I'm going to pay you cash, or will you take you know, uh, something that they have, maybe a swing set for two grand off my hands. And then I'll give you like, once you start doing that, it's a slippery fucking slope. And the next thing you know, they're like, well, we want to add this fireplace. We, we talked to a friend, they put a fireplace in the patio. Sounds good. You say, okay, that fireplace is $20,000, whatever. Can you do it for 18? Right. And at the end of the project, when you go to collect your final payment, they'll be like, all right, well, you owe me 15 grand. Can you do it for 13? You know what I mean? It's like, like what, this is what's killing the entire industry is this concept of constantly making deals and wheeling, dealing. And it's just not the way it has to be. These people are not spending their last $6 on outdoor living guys. Come on. They're the same ones that went out and bought those beautiful brand new car. And they're the ones that are going out and buying all the fancy Apple electronics. They can afford nice stuff. They just don't value you because you don't value yourself. That is, that is it right there. It's not that they don't have the money. They just don't value. And I don't know if it's they don't value you or they don't value it. And you got to figure out which one. If they don't value you, that's one thing. Okay. But then if they're not valuing it, they're not valuing the industry because it's what they see in the industry. They're not valuing what the industry is.
back to this little golfing thing. And not golfing. It was actually a big golfing event, so it wasn't little. But back to this big golfing event that I went to yesterday. You know, obviously, golf courses are in neighborhoods and houses. And I'm going from house. You know, I'm supposed to be playing golf, but I'm looking at people's backyards. And I'm like, beautiful house garbage backyard. Beautiful house garbage backyard. And like, it was, I only saw one. And it really wasn't, the one that I saw that was decent, it really wasn't anything better. It just had a pergola. That's all. All the other ones just had a bunch of bricks and the same exact wall stone in every single yard. And nothing matched the arc. I mean, beautiful homes, but nothing match. And I'm like, and that that's why a homeowner doesn't want to spend any money because they've already saw their neighbors and their neighbors just like basic garbage. You mean, but they're inside of their houses. They're gorgeous. You mean they had a designer do this and a designer do that. The kitchen that you can go to some client's house and they'll tell you the full story about their kitchen and their living room. And they can't wait to tell you a story. Like I had some people, they, they were lowering me into their bedroom the other day. I'm like, why are you trying to get me like y'all some freakies or something? Like trying to get me to go to their bedroom. <laughs> but I got to their bedroom. I was like, holy shit. Like they had this like European designer. You mean design the walls, paint everything. I mean, it was just dope as hell. Like, and think about it. Nobody really wants you to go to their bedroom. You know what I mean? Like they were proud of this space. And it was expensive. You know what I mean? Like they moved the bathroom. It was expensive. So it's almost the worst thing. Like they're telling me that. And I'm like, and you want me to take a look at your outdoor looks? Because guess what I'm going to do to you? I'm going <laughs> to push you. I'm going to push you to a level that you're going to shake and you're going to wake up at night thinking about it. But when it's done, you're going to brag to everybody about how gorgeous and how amazing. You're even going to tell the story of the process in your backyard. You know what I mean? So this whole notion of, well, they didn't want that or they didn't have the money because I hear that a lot too. But that's all the money they had left. Really? Really? So you you saw their bank accounts, you saw everything else, and that's what they really had. But yet they live in this house that, you mean, is $700,000. It, you mean, has all these bedrooms. They, you look in their driveway, they have a BMW that loses value the moment it drives up the parking lot. They have all this stuff, and you thought $12,000, that's what they're maxed out at. And you feel bad because you feel like that you got to you can't do anything above and beyond that. Like, that's crazy. And what I tell guys sometimes is too is because we stick to the level of where we are, I can say no to all that other stuff. And I can say no to six and seven jobs in a row just to get that one. And that one pays for all those no's. And I have more of a relaxed experience. Like there's three jobs going on right now. We're built. And I didn't go to work today yet. I haven't been there yet. I had a bunch of stuff going on and I probably won't get to work today. And then yesterday I did the golf outing. I won't get to work, but all three of those jobs are going to get done, knocked out. Everybody's doing their thing and they are phenomenal jobs. They're not just like your basic jobs. You yep. know what I mean? It's huge. And you know, I know when we first started that out, I was like, as soon as the phone would ring, I'd be like, all right, great. This is, this is the one, this is one we can keep going with this. Right. And then you got that project and you got the next one, but they're all, you're not excited about the work. You're just excited to be liked, to be wanted, right? That they're picking up on you and nobody else. So you're like, your ego gets this big kick in the ass, which is great. Like, wow, great. We're, we're successful because the phone's ringing. We're working, we're turning dirt. We're out there having fun. We're throwing rocks at the ground. This is beautiful. We're making some money. But 
what happened is you eventually start chasing every single call, every single job, and you say yes, you discount, you do whatever because you don't know when the next coming in. It's a very much a scarcity mentality, right? You don't know when the next calls are going to happen or when the next job's going to come in or say yes. So you just take everything and you start chasing all those jobs and you're, and you're like, you know what? This is great. We got all this stuff going and you can show your wife or your husband how busy you are, your kids like, wow, look how much we're doing. This is amazing. And then you realize that A, you probably underbid it and you're going to lose money on that, but that's later down the road. You'll figure that part out. But in the, in the interim, you are chasing every single job in order to facilitate this idea of what success looks like inside of your head. But what you're doing is you're fucking yourself big time and not just you, but also your clients. Because there's a few clients in that cluster of people that you're working for that you're really excited about working with and doing their job and the job alone. And there's a few in there that you just want to get in and get the hell out, right? And when you chase every single job, what happens is you don't have enough time to spend and devote to your ideal project or your ideal client. And then what happens is everybody gets a little bit of your time and a little bit of your focus. And those clients that you really want tons of, if you could say, look, I want to just copy that client and just do that work, that kind of work every day for those kinds of people in that environment, in that neighborhood, I could do that the rest of my life and be totally happy because I'll feel fulfilled. We'll make great money. Everything will be fun. We'll make a great reputation, build a great business. But you don't have the time to do that because you're chasing the other fucking people who are trying to discount constantly because you want more work because to you, it's more about how many jobs do I have versus how much or how much impact am I putting into these people's lives? How much can we possibly do to make this the most amazing space possible? You don't have the time for that because you're chasing all of them. If you stand back and say, look, all right. In life, we get what we tolerate. And if we don't want those pain in the ass clients, or we don't want that basic stuff that we're not going to put on our website, or that we're not going to really be happy or proud of, or the crews aren't that excited about that work. If you take that work and hand it off to a friend that's starting their business, be like, guys, look, there's a great project here I got that we signed. You know, you build it. I'll make some money. You make some money. We're going to focus on the, the main project that we're working on. Or hell, as those calls come in, send them directly off to a friend or a colleague and let them have fun as they're starting out. And you say, okay, good. I'm going to focus on fewer projects, but focus on more dynamic projects and more dynamic communication with your clients so that you can have that business you've dreamed of that people are like, wow, those guys do incredible work. The ones you are out there looking at and trying to emulate, they're not saying yes to every project. They are saying yes to the right projects, the ones that bring them the highest value in fulfillment of their craft and also the ones that they can really be challenged on to make a big impact in people's lives. So chasing every project will screw you in the long run. Select the projects that you feel most powerful with or not powerful is not the right word, but the most valued in and value you can add. And when you do that over and over again, and you're picking your clients as well, because that's part of this deal, you're going to have more time to focus on those clients and those projects to build an amazing portfolio. Because when others see your portfolio and I say, wow, on mine, social media, whatever, and like, we love what you do. This is amazing. You can do more of those. I mean, I think it's pretty basic. If you say, look, if I, instead of doing 50 projects a year, I do 10, but they're incredible. You're going to get maybe 20 of those awesome, incredible projects next year instead of a hundred projects that you don't give a shit about. Yeah. Well, you just said what I was about to say, man, what you just said is exactly what's going on. When we ran Paverstone Design Group in uh, Columbus, Ohio, we did 51 to 53 jobs a year at a whopping six to $800,000 a year. Okay. We're running Vizex at in between 10 and 12 projects a year. And this year we might hit 13 or 14 million plus in sales. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's a lot more work 
there's a lot more involved there, but there's a lot direct, like I'm directly with the client. There's, there's more communication. There's more communication with the contractor on the job site. There's a lot more going on instead of running 53 freaking jobs a year to barely get to the six and $800,000 mark. You know I mean, so it's like, which one do you want? You want to tell the guys like, man, I got to get that job. Like there's one guy I tried. Matter of fact, not one guy. I mentor a lot of people. Like there's a lot of people that send me messages and I mentor a lot. Of, I don't even count anymore. There's a lot. There's it's more than 10. And it, I may be reaching a 20 mark where I'm giving tips and advice to people. And I got one guy who's just so freaking hard. I can't say his name. I want to just one. I want to punch him in the mouth sometimes and I want to strangle him because I, we had this really hard to hard talk, barely paying bills, struggling, but he still keeps doing the exact same thing that's getting there. So the life that he doesn't want to live, he still keeps doing that exact same life to create that, doing bullshit jobs, bullshit money. And he's stuck in his head that he can't charge anymore. He can't do anymore. And he has to keep taking his garbage. But and, and then that's what happens. They keep building the paper patios. They keep ruining the industry just to get this little paycheck. And it, it's just a perpetuating system. And companies like yours and myself, we're doing well now because we're teaching others. Like I had somebody like, why would you teach them out of your tips? I said, because I'm teaching because I need to create the demand. I need a, a homeowner when I show up to understand the vocabulary and really know and want what that is. So if there's more people out there like us who's who's doing it, instead of the the eight that I know across the whole United States, if there's more people like us, the demand would go up and and it would be automatic. I mean, like I, I still can't, I can't, I can barely keep up with what we have now, but it would be nice to have the awareness, I guess, demand and awareness, same thing. No, absolutely right, dude. And I, I totally applaud that idea because, you know, I've often been asked the same question, even from my own team, like, why would you develop a curriculum and, and basically quote unquote, sell all the ideas for the company? Why would you do that? Like, that's not good. Coca-Cola would never do that. McDonald's would never do that. Why would you do that? I said, because it's not about me. If we come up with a better way to do something or a way that's more efficient or faster and someone else can benefit from that and, and compress decades in the days and say, you know, holy crap, I can take something that would take a lifetime to figure out and just listen to this or take a course and holy crap, I get all this and I can launch from there. Like, aren't you afraid? Some people ask, aren't you afraid that, you know, locals will, will take over your business? And I say, absolutely not. Absolutely not, because it's so important for others to learn. And who else is going to teach you? Most people have that mindset of scarcity, where if someone else uh, would 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 actually give away the secret sauce, that their entire business would be in some way at risk. And I'm like, if your entire business is predicated on a few ideas you have, and that's enough to put you at risk, then you've got you don't got a good business. Then it's that simple, right? Because I want to make sure we're sharing as much and as many of our secrets as we possibly can with the whole world, because. This helps the entire industry grow. And to Dwayne's point, when the industry grows and everybody sees us as professional, as lawyers and as doctors, when we show up at their front door with the respect and the expectation to pay premium for an incredible experience and incredible service, then our work is done. Until then, we're going to be in the trenches pushing through, teaching people, helping people, giving away whatever we possibly can from what we're learning on the front lines to help other people grow as well. Because if we all just hoard it to ourselves, we will always be in the same goddamn problem where people look at us like we're a bunch of uneducated people out there working hard in, in the sun, just trying to feed your family this whole blue collar bullshit. When we're professionals, we deserve the respect because we worked hard. We're working hard every single day. We do not deserve to be treated like that or looked at that way or disrespected in any way or looked down at. 
because we're working outside and others are working inside. Man, you got me on a roll here, Boo, and you get me fired up. So it's something that it's so deep. It's we deserve the same, but we will never get there as an industry if we are out there doing whatever the client asks us to do and not bringing value to the table through understanding basic design fundamentals and principles, understanding how to deliver the best, most comfortable, efficient space for clients that they're going to use more often throughout the year. That's where the value is brought, not just slamming pavers in the ground because Mrs. Jones wanted a six by 20 patio to put her stuff out there. You know, that that's where it changes. And Dwayne, I know you can feel it. I know we've had conversations about this before, but we are on the cusp of, of an explosion in the outdoor living world right now. Everybody's bottled up in their house for the last year and a half through COVID, and they're realizing how valuable every square foot of property they own is because they can only go and walk around that one room in the house so many times before they wear the carpet out, then they go to the next one and the next one. And there's this entire space outside that has been underutilized forever. It's the backyard. And if we can, not if, when this industry starts focusing on taking all those comforts from inside and bringing them out as seamlessly as possible so these people can be as comfortable as long into the year as possible, then this changes. Then this entire industry changes. And then people, when you walk up to their house as an outdoor living designer or professional, they're like, whoa, holy crap. We're going to sit down and listen to whatever he or she has to say to us because these guys are the pros. These guys know how to make my life better, not just throw shit in the ground. Yeah. And it's happening now. It's slowly happening. You mean one house at a time or or one client at a time. We're, I'm seeing a shift in the way homeowners are calling me up. And I like, I don't want paper patios anymore. Like, I don't want this. I, I want you to rip up this paper patio that we had built, you mean, five years ago. We didn't know any better. Just please rip it up and do what you do normally in people's backyards. And we'll pay you $100,000 for that. I mean, we don't, if it's a hundred grand, that's what it costs. We'll pay you for that because we respect you for what you do. Yep, absolutely, dude. And we see the same thing all the time as well. And we look at it as our mission to save our clients from themselves. They don't know any better. We're here to educate them first. And when they ask for things, we're absolutely open to it. Empathetic, listen, always ask questions up front. It's exactly what we're going to do. And then we're going to get to the source that the want, that the real why they're doing this project. And then we're going to come back to them with an opportunity and a solution that is not only going to solve that problem, but increase their use of that space. Because let's face it, guys, if that space can be used three seasons of the year instead of just two, how much more valuable is that? Not just to that client, but the future buyer of that house. Think about it. If you can integrate heating systems into your spaces, they're simple. Bromic makes them. You can look them up, bromic.com. Fantastic systems. You can integrate them into roof structures off the side of houses. That could add up to three months of usable, enjoyable, comfortable time into the space. It's one of the biggest hangups that people have in the outdoor living industry, especially I'm in Pennsylvania here. We have about five to six months of decent outdoor living time and the rest you're in your house. How do we extend that? How do we give them as close to 12 months as absolutely possible without taking away the feeling that you get by being outside? How do we do that? That's a question we ask every day here at Master Plan is how do we do that? How do we make it so that it's so much fun that they don't want to be in any other part of their house? They want to be in that outdoor living space as much as possible. And that's where the value is brought. You ask in your head, well, you know what? Right now I'm doing projects that are 15 to 20,000. That's big. And that was for me at one time too. How are you guys doing 100, 200, 300, 400, $500,000 projects? They're just not, no one's calling me like that. Well, yeah, they didn't call me that at that either. The way they didn't call me for that either when I was younger. The way that you do that is by adding so much value 
through thinking from the client's perspective on what makes them comfortable outside, understanding your ideal client and what they need, and then delivering that at the highest level. Thinking through things your client would have never considered, and not just features and functions to add price to the project. That's bullshit. The better way to do it is to show them options that are cheaper than the options they're asking for. And I know we've got to wrap up here, Dwayne, but this is one I want to drop on these guys. Fire pits. Fire pits are fantastic. As humans, we love fire. It's protection. It's the way we cook food. It's, it's light. It's all of these things. It's integral into our human existence, fire. But it doesn't mean that it has to be integrated into a patio where you can't do anything but burn shit in the thing, right? And what I mean by that is if you're working to build a patio, designing a patio for a client and they want a fire pit, offer them the option to have it be a mobile system in a way of a, you know, a portable fire pit, a nice piece of furniture, a fire table, something that's movable because, and this is what your clients aren't telling you. And the ones that the projects you're losing most likely are because you're not thinking from your client's perspective. You're thinking about how can I make an extra five grand in this project? If you go to your client and say, look, Mrs. Jones, you asked for a fire pit. We have two ways of doing that. One is we're going to build in that fire pit into the patio at a block, at a masonry, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's going to cost you. Let's just use a number five grand to do that. Okay. She says, sounds good. Or you can spend two grand and you can buy a fire table and a fire table you can move around. So say that space right now, you want to use it for a lounging space. That's great. Use it for lounging space. Have the fire table there, burn it as much as you want, shut it off, put the lid on it, put your drinks around it. It's a table now, but then say, all right, well, we decided that we're going to have a birthday party at the house and we don't want that to be a lounge space anymore. We want to make that a dining space with a fire pit built into your patio. You can't do it. It's a fire pit forever in the same spot. You're going to walk around it, kick it and all that good stuff constantly with a fire table. You can move it. So you say, Mrs. Jones, it costs $3,000 less than this example, and you can move it and make that space do whatever you want it to do based on your needs. How do you like the sound of that? Most people are going to say, holy crap, you just saved me three grand and you gave me more versatility in this space. And they say, okay, now where do you want to invest that three grand elsewhere? And pretty soon that three grand becomes 10 or 12 or $15,000 because you saved them money first. You weren't going out just for you. You're going out to focus on what could benefit them knowing as much as you do about this outdoor living environment, because again, one or two times in their life, they've done this. So they need guidance and the guidance comes from you. So having this education, either through, you know, watching stuff online or reading books, going to seminars, taking courses like we have, whatever, it's going to teach you how to communicate with your clients in a way that you can bring such value to the table that they're crazy not to say yes for you. They're crazy to go elsewhere and not pay or to, to get a free design somewhere. When you're asking for a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, whatever for a design, they're thinking, well, that's a deal. That's a steal based on the information and the value that this person or this group is bringing to me that I would never have known because everybody else would just sell me a paper patio. But now equipped with the right knowledge and the ability to communicate to your client, you're offering them something that is going to change their life. And that, my friends, is something that they will pay for. <laughs>